Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Echelon Cycling Podcast. This is our long format podcast where we talk about the races that have gone and look a bit ahead as well in the week. And as always, I'm joined by Audu Cycling creator and owner, Patrick, and also proud Yorkshireman. And of course, our very own Mr. Gregor himself, Mr. Ewan Wilson. So guys, it's been a very busy week of cycling. We've had the opening of the, the big classics in Belgium of Omelut Hit Newsblad and Kern Brussel Kern. We've also had the UAE tour as well, which was headlined by the world champion. So um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things to get through here. So where better to start than the UAE tour? What kind of happened? In the UAE tour this year, sand, sand happened. It's just I thought, and this is a big mistake from my part. I thought it was an individual time trial. It was not. It was a team time trial. I don't know why team time trials are a thing. Like Paranis has one, but anyway, whatever. About that, I don't know. There were some sprints. What? Uh, yeah, team time trials. Oh, I can't yeah. have this from both of you now. Okay, never They're mind. Back. They're back. Um, I, I concur. Sorry. The, the the best thing the coronavirus pandemic did to the world was um, temporarily scrap team time trials. Um, I, I, I wish I wish that that, that would have just continued, but it seems like we're getting them back well, slowly but yeah. surely. It is it is it is a shame. Humanity cries. Yeah, but like I mean, I don't necessarily mind a team time trial. It's like basically why are they? Basically, they they usually in these stage races, right, as a preparation because they come in a, in a Grand Tour later on in the year. But are, do any of the Grand Tours have a team time trial this year? I don't think they do. So therefore, my it's like, what? Yeah, like, do, do they have basically, what's their purpose this year? They usually act as like a... Excitement! <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure, but the Vuelta, the starts in Barcelona, is that a TTT or an individual time trial? I don't know. I would I'm, expect I'm sh- a triple T because they've done those a lot in the past. Yeah. But they, they look silly. I'm sorry. I mean, we, we, we haven't actually touched on the UAE tour yet, but they look stupid. Like, it's just a big line of riders from the same team and they all go on their own. Try explaining that to someone who's never watched cycling before. It's really difficult. Like, team time trials are, they're silly. They look, they, it, it I don't know. They just don't look, they don't look right. They look out of place. Yeah. Right, should we talk about UAE Tour? Team Tarham Trial bashing yeah. out of the way. Um, the prize winner on it, stage one. Yeah. Um, it, it was an interesting stage one. There was a lot of crosswinds and stuff, which is part of the reason why UAE Tour can sometimes be interesting. And it was Tim Merlier who took the win on stage one. And it was quite interesting. There were quite a lot of high caliber sprinters in that first group, which I was quite surprised by. Usually you see quite a big split, like especially Caleb Ewan is usually on the kind of receiving end of all this crosswind action. But as I was quite surprised that he was there and it was, let's face it, it was it was separated by a pixel, I think is pretty much what everybody decided by it, until pretty much Merlier walked up to the screen and just went, I think I won it. And then the jury just went, yeah, yeah, obviously. And then, yeah, there was a team time trial, some other sprints like Colonna Vegan took one, Sam Wellsford took one. Sam Wilson well, did not take one. Uh, did he not? Juan Seba Milano took one. Oh, yeah, he did, of course. Yeah, sorry. It's, there are so many sprints in UE Tour, and they all just blur into one. That I'm Corrections just like, corner there. Somebody bring back the Hatterdam, for goodness sake. Like, what are we doing? Seriously. Right, that, that needs to come back. Just to provide some freaking structure in the race. I have no idea what's going on with it. 
And then, yeah, the GC battle was all right, to be fair. It was more interesting today than it was of Jabal Jais, that's for sure. Uh, Jabal Jais is just kind of like a phony, it's like a stalemate climb almost, which is strange because it's the biggest climb in terms of its length of the race. It goes higher than the Jabal Hafid, but it's um, it never really breaks up the GC group. But it was good to see Aino Rubio get a win on his birthday as well. Pretty decent birthday present uh, with his first ever UCI World Tour level victory for Movistar, who have started the season pretty well. I mean, in comparison to the past uh, couple of years since the COVID break. Um, so they're slowly but surely rebuilding themselves. And I mean, the the, the final climate, the final stage was pretty interesting. Seeing um, Yates really go for it. Winning the Jabal feat, which we did kind of see coming. And and seeing Avonapool properly getting challenged by a, by, by a rival was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, dropped. But he didn't, then he tri- like sort of time-trialed, well, limited his losses to Yates, where it could have it could have easily been sort of a big hemorrhage of 30 seconds, but he limited it to just a handful, which um, to some extent he did it last year's Buelta. Even when he was losing time, he just sort of measured his effort and kept his cool and um, didn't hemorrhage that much time. I think when Avonapool loses big, he loses big, big. But even if he's dropped, he measures it to make to make it so there's minimal damage. And I think that's uh that's gonna be interesting going forward, especially looking at the Jidon. Well, yeah, I think that is the poignant question here. Is Remco Venerpool, would you consider him still the Giro d'Italia favorite right now with the information that we have, uh yes. judging by UAE tour, et cetera, et cetera, and with the team here? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, yeah, there's still some doubts possibly about quick step strength in being able to get over like you know the Giro's classic third week monstrous stages that really get thrown at them like quick can quick step still survive that I think they certainly can and even if they necessarily don't it's still Fionis is still on another team like Ineos to have two riders up there which is you know still likely considering they do have Arendsman and Garen Thomas going so it's all, it would still be the onus would still be on Ineos to really make the race at that point. But I think that Avonapool, with his time trialing ability and like you and said, his ability to limit his losses even when he is perhaps on a bad day, it still makes him one of the favourites, if not Al, in my opinion, still the favourite for the Giro. I'm just not certain about the ability of somebody like Garant Thomas really to to topple him, considering how Remco looked. Yeah, I I would agree. I think he definitely has to still be the favorite. We've seen now with the UAE Tour win that he can win a UCI one-week-long stage race because he hasn't been able to do that since his crash. He's entered a number of them, looking at Tour de Suisse last year, Basque Country last year, Tiedeno last year, and the Benelux Tour in 2021 entered all of them and wasn't really in the frame for GC. Uh, but this one, he enters and he wins. He didn't win a stage, however. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it it does sort of point towards a good progression towards the Giro d'Italia. And w- with all the time trialing kilometers we're going to have in that race, I think that that will automatically make Remco A from the ball the favorite. Because, I mean, there's what, 70 kilometers of time trial, if I recall? That That's enough, that's enough sort of kilometers um, to really give him a huge, huge advantage, even if he does sort of fall apart in the mountains. I think the buffer that he's going to get over those time trials will probably be enough to uh, to help him. We saw that even at the UAE tour. Um, he didn't really panic when Yates dropped him uh, because he gained the time on the crosswind stage and with the triple T. Uh, Sudao, who won the stage, by the way, made enough time uh, to sort of chill Remco A from the pool out. The Giro will start with, with, with the TT, 
there who have the chance to sort of gain some time on Sasha Vlasov, on probably Roglic and probably Garrett Thomas to put himself in, in, in a comfortable position. I really, really do think Avonapol will still be the favourite. I don't quite know how he's going to react to being the out-and-out favourite going into the Giro with a very, very different sort of Grand Tour setup to the Vuelta last year. We'll wait and see. But on paper, everything points towards it has the perfect ingredients for Emko Avonapol to be the top dog on the start line in May. I guess we don't know what Roglic is like, though. Just, just I don't still... think we will know what, 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 what Roglic is like. I think yeah. they're sort of He's keeping only. him on his own with the altitude camps. Mm-hmm. We'll see at the Walter Catalunya, which, by the way, I think is a strange choice to make that his only race before the Giro, when a lot of his rivals are going through Tirena. Um, I thought Tirena would be a natural choice to test him against them, but instead he's going to Catalunya. Notoriously not like the sort of number one tune-up race for a Grand Tour. It's sort of one of these grand, uh, one of these stage races that just happens. But he's going there, and then we won't see him until the Giro. So he he is the unknown. I have faith in Roglic. I think I think Roglic will do a really good Giro Italia. He's very well drilled, and I think he will be probably um, him and Sasha Vlasov will be the two guys who will be pressing Avonpool across the three weeks. But yeah, speaking of Jumbo Visma, there are uh, well, there was uh, incredible dominance by Jumbo Visma. If you didn't, if you missed it last week, we had a clip where we were questioning the tactics of Jumbo Visma and some quite funny comments in the comment section on that video. But um, yeah, in terms of this double header that we had with Omlut headed Newsblad and Kern Brussel Kern. Yeah, what happened? It was just Jumbo Visma just making it look so easy. It was just like quick step back in the day when they were just easily winning races. And, you know, it's not even like the same rider won it twice. It was two different riders. And it wasn't even reliant upon, say, a Laporte in a sprint to like be required. It was from just very good team strategy. Of course, Van Baal went and won it on an on loop from a solo attack when he only literally made one attack it wasn't even the most blistering attack he just went into a group and then he pretty much just rode everybody off of his wheel and then he just rode to victory there was a counter-attack behind it contained felons delee uh who else was in there Matej Mohoric was there as well. Yeah, Matej Mohoric, Laporte was in there as well. Of course, Laporte was disrupting, but Van Baal was just away for a good, I don't know, 30-ish kilometres or so, something like that, and just yeah, just held off the field. It was incredibly, incredibly impressive. And it's a great signing from Jumbo Visma. I think the fact that they can shield a Warabanart, who doesn't have to be in peak form right now, and then they can deploy all these other riders, of which you know, that, that is why Van Baal was brought in this year, to be that other classics kind of rider that they can deploy. You know, it's just such a great move by by Yumbo and they are just incredibly dominant to the point where it's a bit it's a bit annoying now, to be honest with you, already. Yeah, I mean total Yumbo Visma destruction, um, really on the opening weekend. Um I think Omlo Omlo was was probably the most evident of, of total Yumbo Visma destruction in the fact that Von Bala went away almost effortlessly, really, uh, powered all the way to the end with no one really seeming like they came close uh, to challenging him. And then they also had different cards to play with Laporte behind. They sort of ground up the group. They, they made a group of, what, 20 or so riders very early on in the race, almost for no reason, just to sort of test the other teams. And they made up almost like a third of that group and it, 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 with their numbers. It really was a show of strength. And... Um, yeah, I mean, worrying for what is to come. But at Kuna Brussels Kuna, I think that was more sort of other teams could have come close, but they they uh they really 
sort of benefited from the numerical advantage in the group. When Benoit went, there was sort of chaos behind. They started looking at each other and that was enough to sort of break the elastic and for Benoit to go all the way. And it was like like they didn't sort of back one of their horses. They weren't sure whether it would be Van Hoedonk or Benoit as they kept them both in contention all the way to the end. They didn't sort of have enough confidence to send one up the road or to try to get it solo. They wanted to bank on um, on a sort of dash in, in the final kilometer, which was brave of them to do so, especially when you have Mohoric and Taco van der Horn in that group, who are two of probably the most tactically intelligent riders in the professional peloton, um, especially on a classic profile like this. So it really was impressive. But um, yeah... I'm not quite sure how I feel about um, the upcoming classics with this kind of uh, with this kind of domination. It feels it feels a little bit more dominant than Quick Step for some reason. Mm. It, it feel it feels like it's sort of it's more calculated than Quick Step. Quick Step sometimes was like wow, like, it, it was a little bit sort of chaotic, but it all worked out in the end. Where Yumbo now it's like oh okay, it's done now. Like like you you really could have switched off envelope with 30 kilometers to go seeing that Fombala had 30 seconds of a lead it, yeah I mean it is what it is yeah I mean you got to give props as well to like Arno Dali who despite crashing in envelope bought his way back like in the wind by himself managed to make it into that front group of the Mer Kappelmer and then also sprinted to second place with the kind of peloton if you want to call it charging up behind I mean that was Sensational, and then he backed it up with another good performance in uh, in KBK today. So, really going to show that all the hype around Arno Delete is not just bullshit. It is an actual straight up fact that he is an animal at the moment, and uh, who knows what he's going to be doing? Maybe he'll win Milano San Remo. There might be a clip about that somewhere. Yeah, I feel like I've, I recall some kind of discussion about that. But yeah, well, is the question here, has Yombo Visma once again changed cycling? Are they too strong now? Uh, this we, we were talking about it last week that we thought it was a bit risky just going straight from Tenerife to racing without any warm-up tune-up races and going straight for the target. And here we are. They end the drought that the Belgian riders had in uh, Kern, Brussels, Kern. No winner since 2016. And they get four riders on two podiums, which is quite impressive, to say the least, for two days. And we haven't even talked about Gran Camino yet. And it was four different riders as well. I mean, exactly. Uh, yeah, it makes it all the more yeah. impressive. Um, it's like it's like last week was uh, was the UAE show. This week it's um, it's Yumbo Visma, Ying and Yang. They're, they're, they're doing a little cha 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 with uh, with domination through th- through through the cycling season. And it's interesting to see. I think Yumbo Visma is probably the one that's innovating them more than than, um, than UAE. Yumbo have been innovating since their sort of their re well, their sort of rebrand as Yumbo Visma in 2019. Ever since then, I think we did see this very big paradigm shift. Uh, particularly with the COVID break. After that, it felt almost as though, boom, we have the new super team and everyone was following them, sort of copying what, what, what they were doing. They even have management staff at the top, Richard Plugger, who is he's a very innovative, very different uh, kind of CEO, one that we don't see. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot for a team to sort of to go through the, 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 these big paradigm shifts. And he is the guy who is implementing so many new ideas and so many innovative uh, plans for Yumbo Visma. And it, it is paying off. I think the, the Altitude Camp thing is working for them it worked last year with Vingago I was skeptical about it in 2021 but now I think it really is this could be be the neat new trick other teams have been trying to do it for a while Sky would 
were playing around with it back in 2012 um, in the Wiggins year where they sent their riders off to a training camp for a while, but not quite to the length um, that Jumbo Visma were doing. And also just the fact that they're, they're very sort of fine-tuned. They've streamlined uh, the season for their for their top dogs very neatly, I think probably shows that they, they know something about the numbers, they know something about the riders, their form, their morale that we as fans don't quite know. And it seems to be working 100% at the moment. The opening weekend of the Classic shows that as does Gran Camino, which we'll talk about later on. It's as if over the years, just somebody else has just emerged each year. Like Jumbo came with, you know, they had like Roglic, Wabanat and Damulan. And then it was like Vingegaard came along and they also had Sepp Kusuma. And it seemed like a very GC orientated team. But now through the last two years with the addition of Laporte and uh, also Van Baal and the development of Van Hoydonk plus Tratnik as well. It's, and, and the note, you know, all of a sudden now it's also a classics team and a world dominating GC team. So it's, it's everywhere. Like and it and it's in the cyclocross and it's in the under twenty three races as well because their their under twenty three team, you know, alongside FDJ is probably one of the best they've got. Like last year they had two riders on the podium of Lavenir and Hessman and oh what's the the Norwegian guy's name? Stouter Johannes Stouter Mitten. Yeah. Like he he was up there as well. They've also got like Archie Ryan as well. They've got the Van Daker twins as well. Like it's just insane. They are everywhere. Like Jumbo Visma is the dominant team in cycling. Dare I say, too dominant? It, it is. It is sort of no one likes out and out dominance. It makes it less interesting as fans. There's not as much intrigue of who's going to win the race. Oh, we don't quite know. And then it opens it up tactically. No one really knows what's going on. Whereas now we have an out and out team that will go in, into most races this year as the V team to beads. All eyes will be on them. All expectations are weighed on them. That I think once they're winning, it gets boring. However, it, think think about how we're going to feel if, if if it backfires at one point. And then then we're going to see sort of I don't know. I feel like there's going to be questions and so forth, and and the community will, will liven up a little bit. Even with, with some of their sprinters, I mean, I love Koi as well. Once he gets going oh, on some God. of these big big world tour level sprints, it is going to be um, it's it's going to open things up. It's going to make things really really dominant. Um, for the squad so yeah i mean to, to answer your question yes yumbo visma have completely changed cycling just in exactly the same way sky have but they've updated it for 2020 how long this dominance can last i don't know until maybe some of their staff members start moving around some of their riders start moving around and sharing their expertise maybe um maybe that the yumbo visma sort of uh, the the secret formula will uh will be leaked and other teams will find out what, what they're doing and follow suit it, it will probably be a while until we reach that point. We're probably moving towards the peak of Yembo Visma dominance. We, we've seen the sort of the rise from 2000, 2019, really, up until this point. This is the strongest we have seen them since they started, really, uh, in the past 12 months. Is this the peak? Are we going to keep riding this wave? For how much longer can we keep riding this wave? We'll wait and find out. Do we have any le- legitimate people who can possibly rival? maybe UAE team Emirates. They're, they just have a very, very different mentality of working. Can they shift that mentality towards a Yumbo star one? We'll wait and see. And the fact that we haven't even got what Van Aert, uh started a race yet in the road season is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this. Dylan Monbal, Ineos letting him go was a big mistake and he proves it in the first race at Omloot. And also big I mistake. want to point out yeah, exactly. I also want to point out Wilco Kelderman. I think he's going to be a big, big character oh, in what hell. could be an incredibly dominant year for Jumbo Visma. They the messed up shaved... big time. Oh, no. Not Jumbo. But... Oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But but then again, 
you don't know what, what sort of the money and the contract and all these perks that, that they've offered the riders. But I think I, I really, really think Wilco Kelderman's going to be going to be a star in 2023. Mm. Yeah. 30% off his Yombo uh, shopping. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it isn't all about Yombo Visma. Well, we could also talk about a different team. They had success at the UAE tour with sprint stages and the taking the overall and also the team time trial. But what is happening with Sudal Quickstep's classics campaign? We, we've we spoken about it in a number of years where they've just faded in, in the couple seasons almost. Yeah, it feels like it only really started last year for me because, you know, I, it was only, it only feels like yesterday, but Asgoin was really dominating all the, the, well, not dominating, but, you know, he was doing really well in, in all the cobbled races and the days of like 2019 when Gilbert won Roubaix and they also had Lampard on the podium. And then the emergence of sort of Seneschal came along as well. And it was like, oh, this is a really kind of very versatile team. But of course, it's just kind of, I don't know, somehow something has changed. I can't quite put my finger on it, but something happened last year where things didn't go their way. The ball stopped rolling last year, so to say, and it's just been, it just hasn't really got going yet. Again, I'm not sure if it's to do with the, the Alaphilippe factor. Maybe they just need a bit of zing just injected into the team. I'm not really sure, but it's just a little bit, it is a bit stale and I don't know what it is. It's a shame because I, I think Quickstep are just a, an absolute kind of must-have in the classics. It's so odd that they weren't really present. I mean, they got sixth place with Ballerini in, in Omloop and, and Jakobsen's not really firing on all cylinders either. He was barely able to sprint at the end of Kerner today. He didn't manage to make it to win the bunch kick. So I'm not really sure what's going on with Quickstep, but I hope they turn it around. I think missing Zing is quite a good way of putting it because they, they have an awful lot of good guys, good performers, but not an awful lot of winners of, of big classics. What do I mean by that? In terms of we, we don't have sort of someone anchoring the, the, the team completely and they can't rely on the sort of anarchy that they used to have in 2019 where you could rely on these guys to really keep pushing and maybe one of them will, will, will get a win and they have a mutually agreed uh, confidence among themselves. I don't think they have that anymore. As much as I absolutely love the man from Combray in France, Florent Seneschal, I don't think he is going to win a Roubaix. I don't think he will win a Ronald von Flandre. He's, he has even podium demonument yet in, in his career i think it's it's bold to, to to put him out there as sort of a guy that you can sort of you are mutually confident will get a good result in one of these flemish classics i don't think it's realistic yves lampart similarly he's not a winner of cobble classics maybe what duance Flandre, that was five years ago now six years ago in fact it's a while back and we're, we're sort of missing that sort of that sucker punch that, that they used to have with top form gilbert top form stibar peak ascrain i think ascrain is currently going through sort of not identity crisis but he can't quite work out if he's a if he's a wildcard breakaway guy is he is he a bit of a hilly guy who can who can climb quite well is he sort of going for for, for the cobble classics could he win a rebay who knows i don't think he knows either um and we're, we're currently seeing sort of asgrain wither away a bit which is um i mean a shame to see um but he he did seem very confident about his chances he and julian philippe's chances at Ronde von Flandre. So we'll wait and see if that will be the big shift. This is only the opening weekend, but it doesn't really give us a good indication of what's to come. You think That's the true. elephant in the room is one Remco of Interpol that they poured all their attention and focus into the Remco project and then they've kind of the other parts that they're so good at, so Dal Quickstep, because they're not renowned as a GC team. They'd never won a Grand Tour before that Welter last year. Do you think that 
might be yeah a bit a bit like um parallels here with like team sky uh and sort of once once we had peak general classification team sky 2012 through 15 that classics campaign was, uh, was a bit meh they didn't quite have uh, the, the cobble guys there and then one once the GC thing was kind of set up, running, running as as it should be as a well-oiled train, then the, the, they started firing in the classics. Maybe it's a similar thing here, where uh, the GC focus does take up a lot of resources, and you've got staff members here, there, and everywhere focusing on different goals and different racing. This is probably the first time in their since 2019, since the UAE tour began, that they've cared more about the UAE or the UAE tour from a results perspective, than Omelope Newsblood. And that is sort of remarkable to say for Sudal Quickstep as a team, a team that has been at the tip-top level of the classics for the past 20 years. Mm. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Maybe maybe the GC focus is clouding things a little bit. But even last year, before Remgrave and the Paul won the Vuelta Espana, we were still seeing a weakened uh, classics squad from them. They might have kind of like rested on their laurels a little bit because they were winning the classics so much that they essentially didn't progress the classics team they said okay the classics team is good and it's going to do us for another two three seasons or whatever and they've actually been caught off guard by the rapid progression of other teams like Alperson and Jumbo Visma who have immediately and very rapidly caught up and surpassed them whilst they've been focusing on the Remco so they haven't really made signings into the kind of classic squad have they if you think mm. about all their signings, it's always it's all been towards the Remco project, as, as Scott said, that they have like stunted the progression of their classic squad. And it's not like it's bad. It's just that it used to be up here, but now it's 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 down here because it's just because they haven't innovated, they haven't tried to to move it forwards. They've just kept it at a, a level but they were three years ago, and that's not good enough anymore. Yeah, I mean, Von Bala could have been swept up. That's something they would have done back in 2016 is buy Von Bala. Gis would be a brilliant match for Sudal Quickstep. Um, trying to think of other riders who would really fit in uh, with, with, with the squad. I mean, there are, there are guys probably out there who would slot into this force very well. Um, I know, Dilly. And... Hmm? I know, Dilly. Oh, Dilly, yes. Um but I guess he he's now chained up on a very very long contract. So yeah, it'll be um it'll be interesting to see what they bring in this year with the with the transfer market again. Are they going to push for more climbers, or are they going to are they going to let go of a couple of their classics guys because it's not worthwhile anymore? We'll find out. But they shouldn't lose sight of what their bread and butter is. They are a Flemish team with a very very Flemish identity. I think I think they still do care about the Cobble Classics. They just need to figure out how they can succeed in the races they do care about. So that was a bit of a tangent and a half about Sudal Quickstep, but uh, nevertheless, coming to the favorite part of this episode, Gran Camino and Juan Jonas Vingo came back to racing with a bang almost. And uh, yeah, well, keeping on the Jombo Visma dominance here, uh, took all stages because stage two or stage one was cancelled. Yes, yeah, stage one was cancelled. A snowstorm hit the peloton. They cancelled it with sort of 15, 16 kilometers to go before an icy descent. Um, no winner was declared. No leader's jersey either. So that opened it up. So I guess a clean sweep for Vingegaard. Very, very impressive over what was really quite the race, quite the different profiles. Stage two uh, was a mountaintop finish with sort of a cobble climb at the end through what looked like a graveyard. And Vingegaard powered away. Very, very dominant there. 
Um, then the day after, there was a gravel mountaintop finish, and Vingegaard won on that stage. Then there was a time trial around the Catholic holy city of Santiago de Compostela, where the Camino uh, de Santiago finishes, and Vingegaard won that one. So, not bad, I guess, for, for, for a week of racing. Yeah, I mean, and Rowan Dennis finished second place on that, yeah. on that final TT as well. And, uh, I don't know, weird side note, they had a drone flying on that mountaintop finish which i don't know but there's very i think by and large if you were to do a poll i reckon it's like 70 percent of people are saying what is this this is ridiculous stupid superfluous it was cool it was it, uh, I, yeah. it was it was nauseating not gonna lie it, it, <laughs> because it's like the this this drone is like flying around it's like it's like they put a they put a camera on like a on a sort of insect it's just buzzing about it's like it's like a wasp trying to trying to get your your, your, your sandwich or, or your can of coke at a picnic it's just like flying around vehicle on the mountaintop finish also in the time trial so this yeah. i mean it's great to see that the sport evolving with, with new technology because the drone was oh, so welcomed at the cyclocross worlds um but it didn't look brilliant but I, I like that they're trying. This yeah. o, o Grand Camino is one of my favorite races in the calendar for many reasons. And I think that this just goes to show this race is something to keep your eyes on. They always want to push uh, push the boundaries. They always want to push forward and innovate. And the fact that Vingo has won it, I think, is a good sign for things to come in this race as a sort of <laughs> outrageous GC battle in northern Spain. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. The drone. I love the drone, not going to lie. I love it. I thought it, I thought it was so fun. Can you imagine being Vingegaard and you're just like, for fuck's sake, what is this buzzing thing around me? I can't it's, focus. Exactly. It's like a it's like a it's like They're a very loud, yeah. Just just buzzing around you all the time. You feel like, oh maybe maybe he went faster because he was like, I need to get to the finish to get away from this thing, honestly. I'm waiting for the day it breaks and lands on the rider. That's gonna um, happen. It's, oh, it's, it's 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 like but it's like buzzing around and all of a sudden it like strike it strikes the rider. And then we have a protest or something. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see. It's uh, definitely innovating technology. Who knows if we're going to have it at this year's Tour de France. Just imagine, we're on the... Which famous climb are we going up this year? We're on, we're on the Puy de Dome. And all of a sudden, this this drone is just following Pogacar and Vingo side by side. All around it. It'll be awesome. It'll be one of the shots of the year. As long as I get a decent quality camera on it. Right, and it's not just like some free like 60p shit then like actually maybe i reckon it could be pretty cool but if it's just fuzzy then just like there's no point okay drone talk aside Vingo yeah, did sorry. win the race <laughs> but i mean did this prove anything to you guys we spoke about tadugacha now showing that he's on imperious form this kind of showing that Jonas bingo is on imperious form as well but i mean the competition sorry ruben guerrero wasn't the stiffest uh to say the least in this race exactly. yeah it kind of reminds me it's like when it's like pigaccio warming up for the tour de france at the tour of slovenia in my eyes I'm I sorry. It just that, is. I, that has weaker field as well. I'm sorry, Tor Slovenia, but that was. I, I, I know you're a fan of it, Ewan, but like, yeah, it, it, it's just it's Vingegaard, you know, having a nice time, just shitting on some people in some Spanish stage race for a couple of days to get his ego up. Yeah, I think I think that is actually quite a good point in terms of it being a morale boost. 
not not in terms of being a shitty Spanish race. It's really <laughs> which other races in the calendar follow a Catholic pilgrimage route? That's awesome. And how cobble mountaintop finishes over a thousand meters that look like they're going through a graveyard. It, this is the Game of Thrones of bike racing, and it is brilliant. Even even the fact that that snow called off the first stage. Ah, it added to the narrative. It was um, it was captivating. Also, Santiago de Compostela is a cool city. Galicia, in general, is just a pretty uh, pretty fun part of Spain. It's actually where the Celts landed in Iberia. They came down from uh, from uh, from Cornwall through Brittany, ended up in Galicia. Um, hence the name Galicia, like the Gallics. Nevertheless, um, Vigo, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a decent <laughs> win, but it really doesn't add anything to his Palmares, uh, apart from it being a morale boost. Um, that he is in check, his team are in check. It's fine. Yeah, can we now start talking about him being the favorite for the Tour de France, or is that too far of a leap here? I don't know. I think Pagatri also looks so strong at Ruta del Sol, but it's just it's tete a tete at the moment for me. I just I can't really split them at the moment. Of course, yeah, it's such a long way to the Tour that I, I I'm struggling to draw conclusions. I think they both won. A Spanish stage race. Of course, Jonas has followed a Catholic pilgrimage, so obviously that has increased kudos. That's but, very so, true. So uh, very I, true. I don't know. I, I think that at the moment they're head, they're like neck and neck. I would say Pogac is probably ahead because of the field he rode in was stronger at both Hayen and in Andalusia. I also think. I mean, I I really want to see Jonas win a road stage. That isn't just a mountaintop finish. I want to see him win a road stage in a way that that Pogaccio would win a road stage with a big long attack soloing all the way to the end. I, w- I want to see Vingegaard win win a hilly stage. We've only really seen him win mountain stages. Jabel Jais in 2021, um, looking towards the Crow race last year. That was his last win 150 days ago. The tour, the Tours de France stage that he won. They're all mountaintop finishes. I want to see Jonas win a hill stage. At that point, I can confidently say that I think he's a stronger contender than Pogaccia. But I think we're going to have those questions answered very soon in Paris, where we're going to see them battle on a more sort of all-round terrain. Because no offense to Gran Camino, it didn't have the most versatile parkour. A hilly stage on stage one, which was cancelled, well, neutralized, and then two mountaintop finishes in a time trial. We didn't quite get enough of sort of uh, a race portfolio, really different types of stages to see Jonas really flourish on a classic style day in the way that Pogacar could absolutely destroy it. I think, like you say, just tease it up really nice for Paris Nice. I think it's going to be one of the most exciting Paris Nice stages that we've seen in a long time. But nevertheless, there was also another race in a different continent, the Tour of Rwanda, and we had a certain four-time uh, Tour de France winner there, Chris Froome, who almost seemed like he was going to take a stage win at one point and uh, yeah what did you guys make of the stage or oh, the stage race that was won by now this is going to be very offensive Henok Mulu Herban the African continental champion as well and has been bigged up as one of the big rising stars of Eritrea despite being younger than Binyam Gamay I, I, I like that the Africa has like the, has this tour of Rwanda I think that it's important that especially with Binny on the rise, that it's important that African cycling doesn't just have one person, but they try to have multiple people getting their names in the limelight and just having another rider, especially considering that he is a part of a 
pro-continental teams. So maybe he might get to be competing in a slightly bigger, more competitive field. So we could see kind of, well, his African championship bands. <laughs> that would be kind of nice to see as well. They'd look better than UAEs anyway, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it's great that, um, that that he won. I think that, you know, it just gives africa another rider to to really cheer about because it's obviously such a, a vibrant community he wants to get behind their riders and just adding another one in there is such a, a, a great thing for them i think yep i agree completely i think it's uh it's good to have uh, new guys coming through he's um double african champion now he's got the jersey for that he's, he's a strong sort of punchy sprinter and he's also riding for Bardiani or green project i believe they're now called which gives him the opportunity to race at some top level rcs uh races such as the giro d'italia which is coming up later this year if he starts that race i think it'll be fun to see what he can do there on a couple of the hillier sprinting days i don't think he's quite on a binim Grimai level now uh they're similar ages actually um so maybe in the Maybe in a season or two, he can build up to that point. But I think Bardiani have signed themselves up for a, for a good um, with a good with a good uh, writer here. Also, I like the fact his name is Enoch or Henoch. It's another reference to uh, to religion as well in this podcast and <laughs> theology, rather. Yeah, and right. even even Vernon won two stages. And oh, true, Quickstep, yeah. Quickstep have uh, another young kind of climber on their hands in William Junior Leclerc. So another, well, another young Belgium short climber to add to Remco's armada for the future. Rwanda was a good week for sort of testing out British riders as well. A couple of strong results yeah. for like young Brits. Uh, there's a guy from Trinity. Apologies, I can't remember his name. He's in, uh, he finished in top 10. Also, my buddy Mark Stewart came second on the stage. Good to see him uh, doing well after all these years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good, um, solid week really for for the for the brits i didn't understand yeah vernon riding for the development team for sudal quickstep i thought that was quite strange they're allowed to do that i think the development team are allowed to have one maybe one or two pro riders in one of the smaller races um yeah i i can't quite remember what the rule is on it but you can field and pro to a development team on these small races, as long as they're from the same sort of family. So like one of the riders from Yumbo Vismo could ride with, with with the dev team at sort of Alp Maritime Duvar. No, sorry, Alpizer Tour, rather. Send white one out to the Tour de Lavenir. Right now. <laughs> I want to see Balabedade compete at, at the Tour de Lavenir. That's what I want. Well, sticking with the Tour of Rwanda, well, for Hainok, uh, I think one thing that is quite comforting is looking back at the their previous winners, Tesfasian won it two years, and he's now riding with Trek. You've got Maori Kudos as well, World Tour as well. So it, it, it's a good stepping stone for an African rider to get into the World Tour this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually almost hope that Africa gets more stage races. Maybe the World Championships in Rwanda will spur some enthusiasm. I really hope that they do, because obviously, you know, we all hear about the, the high altitudes of, of, of some of the countries in Africa. That, should, they, that means they've got hills, right? That must be a mountaintop finish somewhere. Just, just build build a road, I guess. I, I don't know. But, you know, I reckon that it should hopefully spur on some more development in Africa because hopefully they can all follow nicely behind Binny and uh, enter the world tour, 
get a nice bit of uh, African diversity in the peloton. That'd be good to see. Yeah, that's true. But anyways, there was one team that we we love to talk about and um, often quite bad which well sometimes good tour de france last year we praised them a lot but israel premier tech they were in the race you wouldn't really tell if you well other than the Froome attack but they haven't had any victories this year we know that they're on the fight back now to try and get back into the world tour simon clark who was a last minute signing last year worth every single penny they're paying him but how how yeah what's happening with Israel Premier Tech and how are they going to get back to the world tour what i think is quite neat is if you go into Israel Premier Tech's website uh, they have a little ticker in the corner for how many wins they've had this season and it's currently sitting on zero which i think is sort of it's sort of oh, insulting no. at at the time of recording for Israel Premier Tech you also have to sort of factor in the fact that they came to this race they have a big charity project in rwanda uh which is also why they came to this race and wanted to show their face there particularly i think why chris Froome was fielded to this race and probably he went on his own volition he says he, he used it as a tune-up race for the tour de france brilliant for what what do you what do you what are you tuning up for chris but um he's <laughs> oh, he, he said the race was good preparation for his goals bash, in july bash bash, as, bash. <laughs> i'm sorry it's, it's a it's a yeah, but I'm waiting to see what Ugo Ul can bring. He was a real rock of that team last year, getting a lot of solid results, including a Tour de France win. Um, so we'll wait and see once we get to Paris-Nice. Maybe that'll be the turning point. But at the moment, yeah, not quite anything really to write home about. They've got plenty of riders that seem a little bit more sort of promising than their riders over the past couple of years. They've made some solid signings, but we're not quite seeing them firing. I think Miranda would have been a good opportunity for them, but I don't know. It it is also, it's a very different type of race. It's a lot of like dev teams as a national team at this, at this kind of race. It probably operates in a very different way to a world tour race or to a pro continental race like the, the ones that, that they used to write writing in, in Europe and so forth. So it was probably very, very different for them. Um, and maybe, maybe that just didn't click with the writers who just weren't used to it. Yeah. I, just Israel. I feel like they started, you know, once they basically started realizing that last, well, last year, that the relegation thing was a, a thing, but for years since like prior to that, they've just been signing riders in the twilight of their career, which has been pointed out by multiple people, not just us, that what is the reasoning behind this? Is it that you're trying to kind of hit a rider as they're on like the still on the upper slopes of the downward curve, if that makes sense? So, but quite frankly, I mean, outside of say like, like it's been a while since Full Sang's really done anything or, or Mike Woods for, for that manner, they've just got a lot of old, older riders who are taking up quite a bit of salary space who aren't necessarily bringing in the results arguably i think for their most exciting rider i mean yeah sam clark's doing well but i really like corbin strong as well i think that he's a great rider just like a very versatile sprinter he was up there in the like phone ardash classic slide today or yesterday the phone Dlon classic i think he might have been up there like he's just a very versatile rider and i think that coming from a track that's a really good thing as well they get a bit of exposure there as well but yeah israel are going to need a bit of a uh, overhaul to get back to the world tour in my opinion i think to some extent they've been um humbled in, in terms of like they got a world tour license kind of out of nowhere in 2020 no one was expecting it um they didn't perform to be honest at the world tour level and now now that now they're at the pro continental level it's like okay we're back where we should be we are a pro continental team i mean they've got access to a lot of big races uh, including the Grand Tours, uh, which will give them a decent stage to sort of do something. They're a team that have been riding at the World Tours. They know how World Tour racing works. Maybe they'll find their groove, their rhythm. 
other world tour races to come but i mean it's just it's it's not really a, a squad with a roster that's lighting my fire uh to be honest i think lots of destiny over this weekend in particular have proved that they're more worthy of a world tour license than um than israel mm. but you never know i'm very excited about a rumor i heard this week that domenico pozzo might be moving there who doesn't have a contract at the moment so the g dog coming up as well i think it's uh i think it's a really promising lead for Potsaw. He hasn't been given another contract. I'd love to see him racing. I think he wants to carry on racing. So maybe maybe that'll be a lifeline for Israel. I mean, I think that Israel could get back to the World Tour. I think especially if you consider Astana, for example, right? Consider, like, take Astana. Outside of Lutsenko, who on that team is going to be bringing in UCI points? Mark Cavendish. Who's, Mark Cavendish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. I was, okay, yeah. That's a fair point, Cal. But, like, they lost Lopez, so they've lost that GC accumulator of points. And if Israel were to make some actual smart signings, you know, Dylan Turns was a, a decent-ish one, in my opinion. But if they made a couple more of those signings, they could, in my opinion, in the next round of like the next three-year cycle, they could, in my opinion, bump Astana down, I think, um, realistically. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see a pathway for them. They have an advantage over other teams, which I don't think is necessarily fair, that they have probably one of the biggest sort of World Tour invitation loads. Their inbox is flooded with, with World Tour race invitations, which does give them scope to to gain more points. Maybe maybe that, that gives them a chance to go up. But I don't know. I think there are teams with more sustainable models. Uno X is one. Uno X with good good bunch of sprinters. Vardan Schultz winning. Um, Rasmus Till is a really strong classics contender and then you got the Johannesson twins or brothers who I think are just really going to hit the ground running uh, this year that legacy more sustainable Total Energy they're automatically invited to all the classics anyway and the team has as well a couple of really decent climbers you can get top 10s in French races they also naturally go to many French classics that offer our points these races like the Tour de, Tour de Mirabel, Tour de N'importe où, whatever, where like you, you can just kind of raise up the, the, these points with, with wins there. They have the opening for that. Then you have some of the, I mean, Lotte Destiny, is going to be a cash cow in terms of points. Uh, and they also have a, a couple of other really good young riders um, coming through as well. So I think other teams have had more sustainable models. Yes, Israel have their dev team, um, who, I mean, have brought through a couple of good, good guys, but. I, I don't really see a pathway for them getting back onto the world tour unless there's a there's a big upheaval or changing of the rules. I don't see it happening. They won't be happy with that. Well, finishing on that love letter to Israel Premier Tech or Startup Nation or whatever, um, we are finishing with our Rider of the Week. And this is, of course, where the three of us pick a rider that we think has been the best rider of the week and then... Yeah, and then they get very happy, the riders, probably. Patrick, we'll let you go first. Who's your been your rider of the week? And please don't pick someone from Yorkshire. Well, I can't because Ben Turner crashed, unfortunately, and it's a fractured elbow. And I don't feel like Pidcock with a fifth place uh, onward really warrants it. So I'm going to go with not somebody from Yorkshire, but some a UK rider who probably went a little bit under the radar at the uh, Gran Camino. And that is Lucas uh, Noroka, who finished in sixth place in GC and won the youth classification. And he was a very promising uh, ride for Trinity. And I think finishing in sixth place ahead of the likes of David de la Cruz, Simon Geschke, Fortunato. I think that he's a great British talent and and, you know, when that comes at a time where the Tour Series um, calendar has been cancelled this year, you know, the 
because of British cycling, um, which is a real shame because I know a, a lot of my friends like to ride them out and it gives the the exposure needed for uh, continental kind of level riders. Um, it's good to see British riders doing well outside of that. So yeah, uh, he's, he's my rider of the week, a little bit under the radar. Open I'm getting you on his finger goal because he won every race he started. Ah, uh, what? You can't um, take mine. You can't take mine. <laughs> take it. Just deal with it. Change your opinion, Scott. Yeah, I have to change it now. Shall yeah. I? Shall I pick someone else? Shall I? Yeah, go I, on. Okay, I want you on his finger. Rustle up a rogue name. Um, in that case, I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go for. I'm going to Matty Mohoric. I think I know Matty Mohoric or Tim Wellens really, really strong opening weekends and sort of races we wouldn't necessarily think that they would do well in. When you think of Tim Wellens, you don't think of Omlopo Kuna, Brussel Kuna, yet he was there right in the mix at the end. Shows really good promise at a new team as well. He's performed very, very well in this opening part of the season. So in order to not pick Vingago, I'm going to choose Tim Wellens. I changed my mind. So sorry, you honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking his cooked. teammate. I'm <laughs> picking his teammate, Van Baal, because uh, 100% record in his first uh, race. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Uh. On that bombshell, that's it for the Echelon Cycling Podcast, our fifth episode, and we're really happy that we're already here. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel here on YouTube, or if you're listening on the various different platforms that we're out on, and apologies for the Spotify people, it took a bit longer last week. But uh, yeah, with that, comment down below, subscribe to the channel, like the video, and of course, as always, thank you for watching and have a nice day.